0: Preparation. We hear it referenced or alluded to multiple times in both of our texts today. Preparation. Sometimes small and sometimes large actions that we take to orient ourselves towards events, seasons, moments, tests, achievements. For example, we prepare the table for dinner, but we also prepare our hearts for worship we are readying ourselves for something. We also prepare our bags and belongings before we go on a trip, but we also prepare via studying for a test we have to take at the end of each term. We prepare for work each morning with a shower and fresh clothes, and we prepare for retirement with contributions to 401ks. The more we begin to look for the idea and the act of preparation, the more we begin to see it in everything we do. We are constantly preparing for something. And my own life has been a perfect example. Now, I come from a family that loves to be prepared. My grandparents are children of the Depression. Both sides came out west to California in search of jobs from dire economic situations in Oklahoma and Colorado. They had nothing. My grandpa didn't even own a pair of shoes until he was 10. They worked hard to create new lives in new places, but never forgot the feeling of having the financial rug pulled out from under them. They never again wanted to be caught unprepared. This formative experience shaped how they raised their kids, my parents, and in turn, how my parents raised me and my sister. Growing up, I remember we never wasted anything. At dinner, we were strongly encouraged to eat everything on our plate. We rarely splurged on big trips or purchases, but I do remember getting pulled out of school once to go to Disneyland. We lived about 15 minutes away, and that was a memorable, magical day. My dad is a true MacGyver and can make, grow, or fix just about anything. During the height of COVID, he took up woodworking. And now with his lathe, he makes bowls and plates, vases, you name it. And they're beautiful pieces. I grew up hearing the phrase, why pay for something when you can fix it or make it yourself? We were frugal, grateful for what we had and taught to save up so that we would be prepared for any eventuality But that is a particular type of preparation and is by no means the only type of constant preparation in our lives. If we take an even deeper look at the ways preparation has shaped our lives, it's staggering. In elementary school, we prepare for middle school. In middle school, we prepare for high school. In high school, we prepare for college. In college, we prepare for jobs. And in jobs, we prepare to build careers, buy homes, achieve status. We are constantly accruing knowledge to move forward. In our personal lives, we might date to prepare for marriage or committed relationships. We might get married, and for some of us, that means preparing for children. And then the whole cycle starts all over again. We spend our lives preparing for the next thing making sure we are ready for the future. We even take multivitamins to prepare our bodies for old age. This seems to be the pattern of life, always planning for the future. And this pattern, these actions, are exactly what these texts are getting at today. We are being asked to take a good hard look at the idea of preparation both individually and communally. The texts beg us to ask, what are our motivations behind this pattern? Who does this preparation serve? And if we're honest with ourselves, we can begin to see how easy it is to veer off the mark a little bit. Last week, we heard of a man who saved up all his crops in preparation for a life of leisure a future where he would be able to eat, drink, and be merry. But he dies before he ever gets to relax. And this week, just a few verses later, we hear the call to be dressed for action, have our lamps lit and be ready, be prepared for the coming of the Son of Man. Alongside our gospel text, we hear Isaiah condemning the sacrifices and rituals of Judah and Jerusalem, asking the question, who asked this from your hand? We could read that question as, who asked you to prepare for me this way? Preparation. These texts and stories show us how we have veered from the goal of preparation and how we can find our way back to the truth of it. The question sitting underneath all of it is, What does it actually look like to prepare for the kingdom of God? What does a meaningful ritual or sacrifice to the God of Israel actually entail? If I look back at my own upbringing, I can see that often my idea of preparation is fear-based and not communally centered. To be prepared is to have enough money in the bank in case we fall on hard times, to invest appropriately so I can one day retire. I can even use therapy as a way to prepare for an argument I haven't even had yet with my husband, but I wanna know how to deal with it in case it comes up. Preparation becomes eerily similar to self-preservation and self-dependence. While none of these things are bad in and of themselves, If I follow them too tightly or too far down the rabbit hole and let them define my work of preparation in the world, I begin to sound a lot like the rich fool in last week's text, or the people offering empty sacrifices in this week's Hebrew text. I may not know much, but I can discern that this is not the preparation Jesus speaks of in Luke. In our Hebrew text, we hear Isaiah give us an even clearer idea of what preparing for the kingdom is not. The people of Judah are trying to cover up their sins of greed, injustice, and worshiping another god with fancy sacrificial offerings and rituals in the hopes that these might cleanse their hands and their hearts. That this might repair and prepare them for right relationship with God. Instead. God calls the people of Judah and Jerusalem rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah – one of the biggest insults in Jewish heritage. These two cities were completely demolished due to their abandonment of God's commandments. And while many today associate these cities with sexual misconduct, that wasn't even alluded to until the Hellenistic period. We read in Ezekiel that the guilt of Sodom and Gomorrah actually lay in their pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, and lack of attention to the poor and needy. What God really wanted from them, we read a few verses later, was for them to cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. True preparation was not making sure the checklist of sacrifices and rituals in the temple were up to date. We begin to see the pattern. That true preparation is always pointing back to care of the community over self. With that insight, we turn to our Luke text. Here, there are no specifics. We're given vague, semi-fear-inducing instructions to be ready for any hour. This is the type of anxious preparation I am familiar with. But we are told to be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. And if we take into account all of the stories we've been hearing in Luke with the words we hear in Isaiah, it doesn't sound anything like the frugal mindset I was brought up on. We begin to get a better picture when we see the bigger context. As the fuzzy image becomes clearer, we see the call of preparation take the shape of someone who is tending or taking care of something while they wait, while they anticipate. It is not a call to stockpile, not a call to pious ritual. One of the biggest themes in Luke is how we spend our money, how we give alms, how we take care of each other, all of it. And that's when it clicks. It is all an act of anticipatory preparation for the coming kingdom of God. While my preparation is usually future-oriented, banking on a future I plan to have, these examples and these Lucan themes call us to a form of preparation that is very much based in the present, based in community. When we take care of the present tending to our church communities, our families, our environment. That fear or anxiety that drove our worldly preparation can take a back seat. We begin to see that love of God and neighbor was meant to be the real driver behind the wheel. We can begin to see how scripture opens itself up to us in new ways. Maybe keeping our lamps lit really means making sure that our neighbors have enough money and resources to keep their lamps lit for their children, for their family. When we take care of each other, we take care of ourselves. And that is the truest posture of preparation that I can think of. It feels counterintuitive in our hyper-individualized, hyper-fear-driven reality because it requires a trust in God and in one another. And that is no small ask. The irony of being prepared for the kingdom of God is that it is a deeply vulnerable position to be in. This is not the type of preparation that happens overnight. We have to work through our own fears and traumas of not having enough to get to a space where we can sacrifice our own time, resources, and love, trusting that our community has our backs too. This preparation is a lifelong practice a holy ritual in itself this clearer understanding of preparation reminds me of my time in el salvador i lived with a family that had very little but boy did they know how to take care of me take care of their neighbors and take care of their community they were selfless in giving of their time resources money and love There was gang violence a few blocks away, a distrust in government due to the still fresh trauma of a recent civil war and holes in the roof of their house. But I had never felt deeper hospitality. I don't think it's a coincidence that this community had a clearer grasp than I did on what it meant to do the holy work of preparation. There was a sociological study a few decades ago now where the goal was to discern what people spent the most time thinking about, the past, the present, or the future. The graphs read like Venn diagrams, three bubbles with overlapping edges, but each bubble represented a different view, past, present, future, and they were different sizes. The bigger the bubble, the bigger the time spent focusing in that direction. You will not be surprised to hear that in the US and most of Western developed countries, the biggest bubble by far was the future bubble. We spend an inordinate amount of time thinking and planning for the future. In developing countries such as El Salvador, the bubbles were more even, but most of the time, the biggest bubble was the present, followed by the past and then the future. These communities spent more time focusing on and working towards the present because they knew that was all we really had. While we may live in a place that allows us the foolish notion that we have any control over the future, other people in other places are not fooled. The act of preparation does not depend on a guaranteed future, but a present filled with hope and love. These are the building blocks that promise a future steeped in the wisdom and presence of God. This is the preparation Jesus calls us to in Luke, and the preparation Isaiah called the people of Judah to thousands of years ago. Sacrifice of our time and love in service of others is what God delights in. Rituals of companionship and caretaking are what will make our hands clean. We see this truth confirmed when we hear in Luke that when the master comes home, they will sit us down, give us something to eat and care for us. A complete subversion of the master-servant power dynamic. This same subversion is witnessed 10 chapters later when Jesus declares that the greater role is not the one at the head of the table, but the one who serves. We also see it in other Gospels when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. We worship a God who comes to serve, not be served. And this dynamic should be echoed in how we live our lives and prepare our hearts. If we spend a life learning to do good, not just for ourselves, but for others, seeking justice, not just for ourselves, but for others, rescuing not just ourselves from oppression but others, we will always embody the Spirit of Christ and will always be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. Amen.